Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is an Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice market voice of the u.s enhancing and protecting private wealth gary rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn it's life liberty and the pursuit of self-reliance an economy of one with gary rathbun this is our country Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, economyofone.com, economyofone.com, as is our Facebook, An Economy of One on Facebook. You can go there and see all the stuff my producer puts up from time to time and uh, like us if you like. I want to spend a little time today. Oh, oh, before I forget, we got a guest coming up. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, he is the uh, president and founder of Sweetwater Sound, one of the largest retail music stores in the world, and uh, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Chuck Serac is going to be joining us about the hour to talk about his company and entrepreneurship in America and how he's created the culture he's created. I recently visited his store and was impressed and uh, wanted to chat with him on air. So uh, Chuck Serac from Sweetwater Sound will be joining me uh, a little bit later in the show. I I wanted to spend a little time about general economics today. And I want to revolve it around two phrases. One is the political economy which uh, is going to be our theme from from this point on. And also, in connection with that, a phrase that I picked up called extrapolation to Armageddon. Extrapolation to Armageddon. It, it, the, what that boils down to is that you take a current situation, like, oh, let's say the the national debt. And over the last... 10 years, uh, the debt has gotten really, really big, really big. And what people do, politicians, economists, political scientists, virtually everybody, they extrapolate that out and essentially say, at this pace, in this amount of time, we will reach Armageddon. 
And uh, I'm reminded back to uh, a meeting in 1898. Now, I didn't personally attend attend this meeting, but uh, delegates from around the world met in New York in 1898 to face the first international urban planning conference problem. What was the problem? Now, the the meeting was scheduled to last for 10 days and uh, to address a single worldwide problem. You ready? Horse manure. The largest cities around the globe were clearly hurtling toward disaster. As the number of horses grew, as cities grew, population grew, um, obviously they created more horse manure. In 1894, the Times of London quite seriously estimated that by 1950, just 56 years, every street in London would be buried in nine feet of horse manure. One forecaster uh, in New York concluded that by 1930, horse manure would rise to Manhattan's third-story windows. Now, why do I bring this up? It's an extrapolation. Okay, they extrapolate that at current levels, if things keep going like they are, keep accelerating like they are, nothing's going to change, and we're going to be 30 feet deep in horse manure. Well, we both know what came out of that is, well, we're not 30 feet deep in horse manure. Well, let me take that back. There are some cities where one could make the case that it's buried in horse manure. Uh, Washington, D.C. comes to mind, but that's another story and uh, uh, another extrapolation, if you will. But the point is that from the EPA, from pollution, from debt, from people going on welfare to uh, job market participation, uh, to everything, to Dow Jones. I mean, we've seen seen, uh, articles and and economists in the past say that, well, the current pace, the Dow Jones will be 30,000, will be 40,000, will be 50,000. Or, at the current pace, the Dow Jones will be 10,000, 5,000, and eventually zero. Same way with commodities. We've seen it with gold. We've seen it with oil. Remember, just recently, oil has come down from $110 down to, well, right now it's around $50, give or take a few bucks. And when it was in the high 20s, how many articles did you see, how many headlines did you see that said oil well, it could go to $3, go to $5. We saw a lot of those. Well, the trouble is, if it's not sensational, if you're not extrapolating to Armageddon, if you're not carrying things out that far into the future, uh, you don't get the headline. You don't get the front page of the Wall Street Journal. If you're a cynic or if you're a rationalist and objectively look at data, uh, if you're in the paper at all, if you're quoted at all, it's on page um, 19, um, 
just past the obituaries. So it has become an extrapolation into the future and a political economy. How many times have you heard candidates, politicians, uh, virtually anybody say, well, according to leading economists, this is the conclusion. According to leading scientists, this is it. According to leading environmentalists. You look at the EPA and you look at the environmentalist movement, how many times has the world going to end within a specific date. I can remember some Hollywood actors in the 90s saying that the oceans would be too polluted to use in 10 years, that the earth would be 125 degrees on the surface in 10 years. Everything's 10 years. Why 10 years? Apparently 10 years is just far enough in the future that we don't question the extrapolation. It's far enough in advance that we don't really worry about it. If your doctor said to you, you know what, in 10 years, you're going to have, I don't know, heart condition, a kidney stone, uh, uh, whatever. Would you worry about that too much today? Probably not, depending on the severity of it. But for the most part, probably not. So the same way happens, same thing happens in economics. It's been said that economists are simply partisans, but with better charts. And in recent history, I'm beginning to believe that's very, very true. Now, in the the interest of full disclosure, uh, I'm not an economist. I took economics in college. That was not my profession of choice. Still isn't. I I don't claim to be an economist. I don't, uh, um, you know have that special knowledge or degrees. But what I am is an entrepreneur and a business owner. And I've never worked for anybody outside of college. Uh, When I was in college, I did work in a factory. But once I got out of college, I I bought my first company and uh, built things from there. And and I've I've been self-employed and uh, owned companies ever since then. And, uh, um, I think that's the, the, uh, educational background that qualifies me to say a lot of the things about the economy that I say, I know real life. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a multiple business owner. I know what I will do based on a regulation that comes out. Economists today, I mean, it's it's very true. They're they're partisans with better charts because we have better computers. We have better mathematical formulas. We have algorithms that project out things. But what I've said for a long time is too many of these economists, too many of the politicians base everything on some false premises. One of the false premises is people will not change their behavior. And that is absolutely wrong. People always change their behavior. They will always react to situations, to regulations. They will always look out for their own best interest and family. 
Second premise that uh, many economists and certainly all politicians make is that the wealth pie is fixed in size. The truth is the economic pie is ever-expanding. People are creating value and creating wealth all the time. It is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And politicians can't understand this. They, 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 they feel that if one person has more wealth, even a significant amount of more wealth than anybody else, that everybody else suffered because of that. That's a piece of their pie. That they didn't create value. They didn't make the pie bigger for everyone. When in fact, they did. Now with the mathematical models today, we can extrapolate virtually anything. Anything. The facts don't seem to matter. The evidence doesn't seem to matter. Economists should be historians rather than predictors of the future. Up next, very disturbing poll where 9 out of 10 Americans are losing faith in democracy. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, there's a recent poll out that uh, it's both kind of disturbing and eye-opening. And uh, it's an APNORC poll that focused on Americans' lack of trust when it comes to the government. Now, that doesn't bother me. Um, You shouldn't trust your government. Um, you should be able to predict what they're going to do and have confidence in, in that action, but it, you, you can't trust them. My feeling has been that anybody with power over anybody else feels an inherent need to exercise that power. But the poll um, painted the picture a little bit more devastating than what uh, I would think. Nine out of 10 Americans are disillusioned with democracy. They don't believe in their political system anymore. They don't trust the government. And more importantly, they don't trust the elections. I mean, just recently we saw how many dead people have voted in California. Hundreds. Multiple times. One lady's been dead for 26 years. They had her whole voting history. That does not endear trust. When we see that politicians can do whatever they want with impunity, that presidents can ignore the Constitution, can outright break the law, and Congress, who are supposed to be lawmakers, classified as lawmakers, do nothing. Do nothing. Why do they do nothing? Because they're part of that group 
that wants to break the law, that wants to do things outside the Constitution, that wants to exercise their power. 70% of Americans polled say they feel frustrated about this year's presidential election. Now, what's interesting is that's split pretty much right down the middle between Democrats and Republicans. More than half feel helpless and angry. Totally against what America is about. In order to feel optimistic about the future and not pessimistic about the future, there has to be a vision for the future. People have to believe. Now, think back in the 60s. Back in the 60s, how many bad things happened in the 60s? A lot of civil unrest. Okay, baby boomers were coming of age. Uh, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King assassinated. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was our president. Uh, Richard Nixon became president after Johnson. Um, there were race riots. Remember the Los Angeles uh, race riots? And, and uh, Detroit had uh, race riots and, and lots of looting. And yet, things got a lot better economically through the 60s. Things got better faster. Real wages grew at 2.4% per year compared to just 0.6% the last decade. The richest 1% of households then controlled just 10% of the income. Today, 20% of the income. Now, one might draw the conclusion that there's a connection between voter disconnect and standard of living inequality, right? Well, not really. The 60s were tough, but yet economically, it was fast growing. Why? I would contend, and and other people agree with me, and I agree with them, that the future, the, the thought of the direction they were going was optimistic. We create our own economics. We create our own free market. An economy of one, if you will. A little peek behind the curtain as to the motivation for naming this show what it's named. We need to be entrepreneurs. My next guest is Chuck Chirac, founder and president of Sweetwater Sound. Chuck reflects the attitude that we need. He will reflect that American entrepreneurial spirit. We'll talk to him next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Chuck Chirac, 
He's the founder and president of Sweetwater Sound over in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Had the privilege of going to his operation uh, a few weeks ago and was very impressed and wanted to give him a quick call and and chat with him a little bit. Chuck, thanks so much for uh, joining me here on Economy One today. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I've been a guitar player, oh my goodness, for about 45 years. And one of my clients said, you got to go to Sweetwater Sound. They got everything there. And so my wife and I took a day trip a few weeks ago and went over to your store. And I got to tell you, I was just blown away, partly because of all the equipment. You know how us musicians are. We drool over that stuff. But more importantly was your people. I was just so impressed with everybody I ran into, into your store. I told my producer, I says, give him a call and see if he'll come on and talk a little bit about your company. You know, I've learned that culture in a business comes from the top down. Tell me a little bit how conscious you are of that culture and how you you foster it and and, uh, keep it going. Well, great question and great perception. And uh, you are right. I guess it does start at the top. But um, I believe that's the difference that we offer. You know, there are 8,000 music stores across the country all selling things the same as us or similar to us. But what they don't have is what we call the Sweetwater difference. And that's all the training we put into our people. That's the culture that you talk about. It's the always, always doing the right thing for the customer. And that's, that's ultimately our goal, just do the right thing for the customer. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, I'd never been to your place and the receptionist was telling me all about things we could do. And one of the things was to go upstairs and go all the way back to the glass wall and watch your, your warehouse operation. And uh, so I went upstairs and uh, headed back to a glass wall and there was no glass wall. I ended up in a whole bunch of cubicles <laughs> and, and uh, obviously was in the wrong place. And and one of your employees, I know he didn't work in the cubicles. I don't know exactly what he did, but very nice to me and my wife and said, where are you trying to go? And I said, well, I want to see the, the warehouse. And on the way to the warehouse, he told me all about the workout facility and how great it was to be at the company and, and that kind of stuff. And I told my wife, I said, this is, this is impressive. I mean, he didn't have to spend that much time with us. He could have just said, Hey, you're in the wrong place. Go around and go the other way. But, uh, they, they really took care of us, and uh, I just don't see that in a lot of American businesses anymore. Well, I'm, I'm very happy that happened, and I'm proud of our folks. And, uh, you know, the employees are proud to work here. It, it's a pretty special place. And, you know, I started the company 37 years ago in my wow. VW bus. Yeah, I saw that in the lobby there. Is that the actual bus? Well, it's not the original, but it's oh, okay. a facsimile of it. It's very similar <laughs> to that. And and my goal is just always to take care of my friends. And, and I know that sounds trite and pretty simple words mm-hmm. to say, but it's truly what we're founded on. And, and I love it that my employees have captured that culture. And everything we do is, is let's do the right thing long term for the customer. And uh, it happens to be good for business, but it also is good for you to feel good about doing something special. And yeah. it allows you to lay your head on the pillow at night knowing you've done the right thing. You know, now let's talk a little bit about the company because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of music stores out there, but yours is truly unique. I've never been in any place like that. What's the thought process behind, you know, the the video games, the cafeteria, the the hair and nail salon? I mean, what's what's your overall thought process? Sure. Um, you know, we do have a great mall atmosphere here, mm. and we have about 350,000 square feet. 
you know, the music business should be fun. And we have a, a variety of level of, of guests and customers in our building. They could be musicians, uh, you know, interested in buying equipment in the store. They could be young folks taking lessons in our music academy. We give over 600 lessons a week. Wow. They could be people in the recording studio, uh, manufacturers, reps, and then, of course, our own employees. And so with that many different uh, people coming into our building, we wanted to make sure that it was a fun place to be and, and offer some places to get away and relax a little bit. And so, as you mentioned, the game, gaming area, we have a ping pong table and pool table and a high-definition golf simulator and all kinds mm-hmm. of video games. That's great if uh, little Susie's taking piano lessons, Johnny and mom and dad can be playing the video games, <laughs> or clients in our recording studio want to take a break, they can come down and, and do that stuff, or our employees. It's just a way to get away and relax. You know, it's. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, the gentleman who took care of me. Was his name was Chris down uh, in the music department. I bought a new loop station and a few other things from you. Uh, what? What? He was very, very knowledgeable for a young man. Uh, what? What kind of training do you? Uh, well, first of all, what kind of personality do you look for, and then what kind of training and ongoing training do you give your people? Great question. Um, you know, we want them to have passion for the business, passion for, for music and, and hopefully, you know, an instrument or recording technology or something. Mm-hmm. And so most of the people we hire do have a music background, usually a, a four-year technology degree or music performance degree or teaching or something like that. But believe it or not, we have people here with doctorates and with Grammy Awards, yes. and, you know, it's a pretty high level. Wow. But even with all that background, before we let them talk to a customer, they go through our Sweetwater University, and that's 13 weeks. Uh, eight hours a day plus homework, and they do about uh, 300 different classes. It's almost like getting your doctorate. And we teach them everything from how to develop relationships with people, uh, how to work our systems, and then, of course, some musical, technical kind of things. But Mm -hmm. it's really about the people and the relationship building. That's what we spend a lot of time on. So you invest a lot into these people, really, before they they get on the floor and and interact with any of your, your customers. Absolutely, because we're only as good... We're only as good as our worst employee. You know, if you have a bad interaction with a receptionist, mm-hmm. you'll judge our whole company. If you have a, a bad interaction with one salesperson, maybe he's just or she's having a bad day, it's easy for you to jump to the conclusion that our whole company is that way. And so we work hard to make sure that, that we, we uh, don't have a weak link. I, I got to share with you the other side of that equation, what I tell my people. I own a, a financial services company. Uh, in addition to to doing radio, and I tell people, our people, everyone is our competition. Because if yep. somebody goes to Sweetwater and has a terrific experience, our experience is going to be judged by that, even though we're in totally different sectors of the economy. Absolutely. You're 100% correct there. I agree with you. Now, I, I also uh, do a little research on your company. You continue that that education uh, for as long, essentially as long as people stay with you, don't they? Absolutely. We're always investing in our people. Uh, it's just part of how we make our company better and how we provide better service to the customers. But uh, salespeople, as an example, have at least uh, two formal sales meetings every week for their whole career. And sometimes they'll have three and four, depending you know, what they're doing in sales and how, you know, how good they're doing and all that sort of stuff. Give me, give me just a, a, the, the elevator uh, talk on how you went from uh, apparently making potholders to uh, the number one online uh, retailer of music. Well, that's a long story, but uh, <laughs> the, the short version of it is uh, I did grow up very entrepreneurially. I, you know, I had lots of interests, and when I was five years old. I started a business making potholders, sold thousands and thousands of potholders. <laughs> 
I delivered newspapers. Most of my friends had 40 or 50 newspapers. I had delivered 300 every day. Uh, I delivered to apartment complexes. I'm kind of of the mindset, if you're going to do it, do it really, really well. But I would tell you the thing that really set me up were Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts. Really? Those are not maybe real uh, popular organizations today or as in vogue as they were when I was a kid. But a Boy Scout learns that he's trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Those are amazing principles to live by personally, and they're amazing principles to run your company by. And they just have set my foundation to run our company based on those principles. That's a terrific answer, and we're going to make sure that's repeated on our, our website. You know, from the other side of the standpoint, I mean, you, you're obviously very entrepreneurial, very successful. You own several companies, very philanthropic. What advice, you know, because a lot of people like to pick on America and say the American dream is over. It's no longer available to everybody. There's a lot of angst out there. You know, I, I love this country. I've been an entrepreneur all my life. My dad was an entrepreneur. What advice, what, what observation do you have about the state of America today and the opportunities that are out there for the next Chuck that's five years old and not making potholders yet? Right. Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter, so I'm working hard on her trying to give her some of that advice. <laughs> you, know, you know, what I'd say is we still live in the greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. There are lots of lots and lots of great opportunities, but no one's going to hand it to you. No one handed it to me. No one came up to me and said, uh, here you go. Here's your recording studio. Here's your music store. Good luck. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of sacrifice. But most importantly, it was a lot of drive and passion. And I would say that if there's something you really believe in, you go for it. And, and don't let others tell you no or it can't happen. You know, when I started my company, one of the things that I heard regularly was a recording studio in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Doesn't that need to be in Nashville? That Doesn't right. that need to be in L.A. or New York? And I can't blame those people that told me that because they didn't know. They were uneducated. They, I was the one with the dreams and the passion. Mm-hmm. And if I would have listened to them, I would have been discouraged and given up and quit. But I didn't. I knew there was a way and I knew failure was not an option for me. And, and that's what I would tell anybody. If you really believe in it, then absolutely invest 110% of your 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 thinking, your time, your money, whatever you can do, and go for it. Excellent. I'm talking with Chuck Sirock, the founder and president of Sweetwater Sound, one of the most innovative music equipment and recording companies in the U.S. Uh, I got to tell you, Chuck, looking through your your pro catalog reminded me of when I was a kid at Christmas time looking through the toy catalog. I mean, it's just very comprehensive and uh, just terrific. I mean, it's I half melted my credit card when I was there. Uh, a few weeks ago, and we'll definitely uh, come back and do that again. Real quick, we got about a minute or so left. Tell us about your involvement in the community and how important that is to to you and your family and your company to be involved philanthropically. Well, it is real important, and and uh, for me specifically, I'm involved by being on a lot of boards in our community. Uh, I recently chaired a committee that researched the idea of putting an arena in our downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we need to all continue to make our community, our region, no matter where we live, better. And it, it, uh, if you don't make it better, people aren't going to want to stay there. They're going to want to go elsewhere, so on and so forth. And to me, it's about jobs and economic growth and, and making it better for, for my employees, for my children, my children's children. And, uh, you know, something I try and encourage all my employees to do, get engaged, get involved. All of us, every one of us at Sweetwater and, frankly, almost any business in the United States where you're employed, 
you've got a lot of things to be thankful for, and there's a lot of people that are in a worse position than you. Right. And whether that's giving money, giving time, giving talent, treasures, whatever you have, I think we have a responsibility to help those that are a little less fortunate. Yeah, certainly I have felt it's much better for us to be involved than to hand it over to the government and try to make it their responsibility. They just don't do it as well as the residents in the community do it, I don't think. so. You're absolutely uh, correct there also. You know, this has uh, been a real treat for me, Chuck. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. I've been told that if you're around and uh, you have time that people can knock on your door and say hi, and next time I'm over there in Fort Wayne, I may uh, may seek you out and, and put a face with a voice and vice versa if we can. Oh, please do. I'm very accessible. I am busy, but uh, I answer every email, every phone call, and, and my door's open every day. So if I'm here, I'd love to meet you or anybody else that wants to come see us. I, I really appreciate that. Fort Wayne's not that far away from us over here in Toledo. And I got to tell all my listeners, it's worth the trip. It's absolutely exciting. Got to talk guitars with a lot of your people. And, and uh, like I said, all the equipment I wanted, you had in stock. And it was terrific. So once again, Chuck, thanks so much for your time. And I will tap you on the shoulder again soon and see if we can uh, chat again. Sounds great. Have a great day. Thanks for the phone call. Thank you. I appreciate it. Up next, I want to talk a little bit about what really stifles innovation. And I can't go a week without taking a quick look at Venezuela and some of the economic lessons there. We'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, after talking to Chuck and hearing how his company is doing, the culture he's created for his employees, the culture that his employees create for their customers, seems so obvious, doesn't it? It seems obvious that that's the way to do business. And he does that in spite of Government regulation. Bureaucrats stifle innovation. Recently read about this on uh, Reason.com. John Stossel wrote a terrific article about bureaucrats. What if Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, going back a ways, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, um, any of these innovators, what if... They had asked the government for permission first before inventing anything. What if they went to the government and said, um, I want to create the computer that will allow people to get information instantaneously from all over the world? It would still be in some government committee somewhere figuring out how that could harm children somewhere. What if over the last 20 years, the Federal Communications Commission had to get their hands on everything and give people like Steve Jobs, like Mark Zuckerberg, like Bill Gates, a license to operate, had to get their blessing to innovate. Now, the government feels that if it wasn't for them, none of this stuff would be created. I mean, President Obama came right out and said, if you have a company, if you have a factory, if you have a business, you didn't build that. We helped you. Let me help you. 
I've owned my own company for better than 40 years. I own many companies. The government, not once, not once, has ever helped me do anything. Not once. If I relied on the government for my success, I would be Venezuela. Venezuela, we're seeing that collapse by the day. People are looting stores. They have nothing in them to loot. They have no money. Venezuela is selling off their gold in order to pay their debt. It will happen in Venezuela. What's going to happen is there's probably going to be some type of military coup, some type of major revolutionary action in that country. They've got almost 2 million signatures on a referendum to uh, uh, get rid of Maduro's presidency. Now, that being said, 1.8 million people just got put on a list that uh, if Maduro has his way, they probably won't have a very good day, nor their family. Venezuela is really the poster child of the perils of rejecting economic fundamentals. I'm not talking about visionary innovation. I'm talking about just fundamentals. They're trying to limit the price of everything. They arrest people. They kill people for violating laws that the government has set up in their economy, like how much they can sell things for. Most countries, people can buy food, soap, toilet paper without incurring a national policy nightmare. Not in Venezuela. Most people in the world try to earn a living by doing things that other people find valuable. You create value. My dad told me early, early, early in my life that if I create value, someone will pay me for that. Look at what people need. Look at what people value and see what you can add. I can remember in college, I got laid off from the factory I was working. I was a wire welder. And I used to weld Chevrolet pickup step bumpers. That's what I would do. And uh, I got laid off. And uh, I said something at the dinner table one day about drawing unemployment. And I got a 30-minute lecture on how we don't do that. We don't get paid for not working. I was instructed, I will either go out and find another job or... I won't have any money. Create value. You'll make a lot of money. You'll make a good living. 
and create some wealth. Provide value. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.